electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Yes, indeed. Live from the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Joe Kernan in for Melissa Lee. Let's get right to it. A major sell-off on Wall Street today. The Dow plunging nearly 7%. The worst day since March 16th. Every single S&P sector finishing the day in the red. With energies and financials the hardest hit, we have full team coverage standing by to tackle today's sell-off. Let's kick things off with someone who watches the, watches the minutia, and it's Bob Pisani. Uh, Bob, uh, hard to find anything, uh, anything positive uh, in the day, but seeing you is positive for me. Thank you, Joe. Good to see you as always. A much overdue look at the cyclical rally and the reopening story in general. Uh, I just want to show you a few things here because the V rally that a lot of people have been hoping for has been inverted. There's there's an inverted V that's actually happened in a lot of the cyclical names in the last few days punctuated by today. Let me just start with some of the energy stocks. So you Marathon, MRO. Marathon one's six dollars at the start of the month it goes to nine dollars and then back to six this is essentially an inverted v as you can see a lot of and hess devon they're all look the same way same thing with other big industrials if you look at general electric general electric uh goes uh from uh where was six to nine i believe and goes back down again as you can see right here to essentially six dollars and change same situation uh, a v there caterpillar looks essentially the same way other industrials were the same here at the airlines united airlines we watched uh, with our mouth open, it goes from 30 to $50 and now essentially back into the $30 range. All of this in a few weeks. Think about that. Same with the banks. And this is even more remarkable considering the market cap of Citigroup, which was $48 at the middle of the month, the start of the month, goes to $60 and then goes back essentially to 48 That's what I'm talking about, these inverted Vs that you're seeing. Goldman, Morgan Stanley, same thing with that uh, as well. Travel and leisure, United Airlines, we mentioned that, $30 to $50. Uh, and there you go. See what's going on there. Citigroup as well. Uh, utilities, curiously, you think bond proxies would do well in this environment, but not today. Interestingly, they had a modest rise, about 10 percent in the last few weeks, but even they weren't safe. So where, what's moving stocks today? I think it's safe to say the valuation story was the main one. The market has voted. It's frothy. Uh, reopening story, it's not a V, but what exactly is it? We don't quite know right now here. The stimulus story is still there. The Fed's still supportive. That's still a good story. And treatment uh, and vaccine progress, well, we heard a lot of stories today. That's certainly there. So, Joe, I'd say two of the four definitely under some attack today. Joe, back to you. Definitely, Bob. All right, thank you. Let's bring in tonight's trader lineup. Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman. And coming to us live from the New York Stock Exchange, Steve Grasso. Steve is following NYSE safety guidelines and is required to wear a mask while on the trading floor. We're going to start it off. I always like seeing everybody's house and, and where people live. Karen coming to us from Field of Dreams. Uh, it looks like I see a baseball diamond, I believe, and, and Ray Liotta. Uh, I can barely make him out. Uh, actually, it's a very serious day. No time for levity. Guy, uh, tell us about today's sell-off. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for, I mean, it's a long day for you. Thanks for being here, Joe. I mean, today's sell-off, 3,000 in the S&P, or some people say May 29th. So, you know, we've been here before, and we were here very recently. So I was thinking this, something like this would happen a few hundred S&P points ago. 
So here we are. And in my world, being early is being wrong. But for context, you know, you, I think if you're bullish, you want to see a day like today. Now, some of the things that are somewhat disconcerting is the fact that the VIX has now a 40 handle, which is remarkable given where we were just a few days ago. And what really worries me is something that uh, few people talk about. Tim brings it up from time to time is the volatility we're seeing in the bond market. I mean, 10 year yields are back to where we were seemingly in terms of volatility back in March. You go from 60 basis points almost to 1% back down to 65 basis points. In percentage point moves, that is extreme in anybody's camp. So that's a little worrisome. What I think you need to do here, it's funny, you had a guest on the other day on your great morning show. I think Boeing was trading on or about $230 at the time. And he had a $175 price target. Here we are. Right. I mean, here we are seemingly two days later. So I think you're looking for opportunities to buy these names, specifically Boeing. Just to put it in context, you take the March low, which was eighty nine dollars, a recent high. And if you could buy this stock at one hundred and sixty one or thereabouts, which isn't that far from where we are now, that's sort of a 50 percent retracement. So I think in your, you have to be looking at things through that lens. It was uh, it was uh, Ron Epstein of uh, Bank of America, I remember, and it was a 160 guy, and, and I was needling him a little bit about you got a 160 price target, we're well above 200. Why, what, before you came on today, why didn't you up your price target? He's not looking too bad uh, at 170. Guy, guy, you've been around a long time, although you don't, you would never know. But short, sharp, scary <laughs> corrections normally aren't the kind of thing that that is quite as. I mean, this was awful today. Watching it is sort of sickening. But it gets us back to still above 3,000 on the S&P, and suddenly we've engendered a lot of fear again and wrung out some complacency. That, I mean, here we are above 3,000, but we're scared to death again that, that this could get out of hand with a second wave or something. No, I think your point, the point I made earlier, you know, here we are May 29th. I don't think it's a, yes, it's a scary thing. I don't think it's a bad thing because the way the market was moving unabated over the last couple of weeks was scary. And something we talked about a few days ago, Joe, what gave us sort of pause was the fact that back in March, we saw indiscriminate selling. Everything was going lower. Well, a couple of days ago, we saw that in reverse. Yep. And we also mentioned that on a pretty big update, the VIX was also higher. And that gave us some concern. So maybe it's all sort of coming out in the wash. I'm but to your ca- point, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. Well, it, it was not, not fun to watch and gave, you know, all that that week that was so amazing, up like 7%, it's gone. Uh, anyway, I'm going counterclockwise, going down, going down to Karen. Karen, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Is it, uh, is it a short, sharp correction in an ongoing uptrend, or is it the beginning of, of uh, reckoning for the disconnect between you know, all this scary stuff happening in the world and the market, which was soaring? Uh, well, first, I want to say thanks for pitch, pinch hitting. You can come out to the Field of Dreams here anytime you want. <laughs> a little wet today. Yeah. But so to Guy's point, I, I agree this sharp down. I, I'm always long. So I like these sharp down. You know, lately I've been finding it's harder to find things to buy lately being like last Tuesday. And, you know, the reversal since then is really kind of extraordinary. But we're only back to where we were at the beginning <laughs> of, you know, last week. So, um I kind of like days like this, as, as painful as they are, and as much money as I lose on a day like today, I find it sort of, you know, a, a nice washout to start to look to, for things to buy again. 
This move in the VIX that Guy pointed out, that was a 50% move today from 27 to 40. That's a really, that's an interesting indicator, right? You talked about are people really getting scared. I think they are. I think it's worth noting that this morning Steve Mnuchin said we're not going to close the economy again, even if there is a second wave. That was interesting to me and worth noting. So I'm looking for things to buy, um, not the airlines, even though they've come down a lot. They were up at a ridiculous level. I'm looking to buy things that I already own some of, like a FedEx, something like that. I'm looking to buy some banks. Um, I don't love to go into a, you know, Friday. Wouldn't be surprised if the market trades down again, and then I'll probably look to buy over the weekend. But I think this was good. This was healthy, and this was long overdue. Uh, we're going over to you, Steve, and you would think that the discussion would be that, that we can't really see that well, but it was all about the sweater uh, with the people in my ear and, and uh, the very, uh, very preppy. Uh, it looks like you're, you're back in Tapakega Brew. That was your fraternity, was it not? A- anyway, what, what do you think of, of, the, uh, of the sell-off today? So, well, first, let's, ad- let's address the sweater. I, only because there's about 20% of the people that are normally on the floor of the exchange it's freezing on the floor. Is it? So I'm going to get a, uh, a pass on the sweater at this point. Oh, it's freezing, not it's freezing right that. now. I think it's about Seymour. 58 degrees on the floor. Come on. It's, at it's, least I'm going to wear a turtleneck tomorrow. At least he's got so, an yeah, excuse, we, Tim, for that so, thing. Uh, uh, so now when you look at the Fair overall enough. market, I, I think this is constructive from where we came from. When I look at the chart, 2200 is where we came from, Joe. You know better than anybody. Yep. To have that rally of 47% off the bottom, yep. this is a win. You have the Fed, the Fed buying uh, co- uh, corporate junk bonds. So I don't think we can get back to 2200 again. Having said that, we're back to the 200-day uh, moving average. Ugh. So if you want to be constructive, that's where you start from. Tim. If you want to look at the overall oh, market, sorry, Steve. Yeah. Powell, yesterday, hang on, Powell, Powell yesterday said that interest rates are going to be stuck here. So you understand why value had to back up again. You understand why the economy not starting up that quickly is negative for the overall market. But I think this is just a backpedal, maybe a little bit longer. But I would think that you just, to Karen's point, get your shopping list ready we're not going back down to 2200 in the S&P. This looks to me like a little bit of a backup yep. and a buying opportunity in the macro sense. Certainly get your attention, though, Tim, 7% in a day. I mean, you don't want to string four or five of those together, uh, obviously. No, no, you don't. And the sweater got my attention, too. But um, think about where we are. Apple's still up 8% over the last five days. Boeing's still up 18% over the last five days. Um, and I think Steve rightly pointed out the move that the markets had. Look, before yesterday, the, the previous two weeks we had had, the market had done 10% in nine days. So, so look, we were reminded through jobless claims and continuing claims this morning, uh, effectively 21 million people continue to file for claims. Uh, we know that there's been some resurgence in COVID. And, and we know that the market and, the, excuse me, the economy, is not opening quite as quickly. But I think you have to take this all in the context of where we came from. In the same way, remember the violence of the move on the way down. Some of that was because of the unabashed kind of blow-off top we'd had going into this. So I think we need to, it's a scary day, um, but I don't think we, things have really changed that much day over day. I think we've digested the Fed. And I think, um, if anything, the Fed reminded the market sometimes that bad news can be bad news. Uh, we have a gentleman who actually... Um well, all you guys do this for a living, but he's got to live by what he says because he's uh, head of equity strategy for Wells Fargo Securities. Chris Harvey, um, do you echo what you're hearing from, uh, from 
from us here, or, or what do you think? So, Joe, I, I do echo a fair amount of what I'm hearing. So I, I think it is a healthy correction. I think it was long overdue. There's a lot of talk about a second wave. I really don't think that's what it was. I think it was very much Fed-related. Hmm. The Fed is going to tell you that we're going to keep rates lower for longer and longer and longer, two things are going to happen, and we're beginning to see both. One, that negative interest rate narrative or commentary is going to come back, and that's not good for risk product, that's not good for sentiment, that's not good for the economy. And the second thing it's going to do, which it began to do, it's going to flatten the yield curve. And the same thing there, bad for risk product, bad for the economy, bad for sentiment, but but I really do think this is more of a 10% pullback than anything else because the underlying fundamentals are slowly improving. The credit markets are wide open, credit is widely available, and we just went too far too fast. Uh, I think things probably trade sloppy up until uh, Fed stress tests or maybe even to two to earnings, but eventually they'll start to, to work themselves out because I think the commentary, though the numbers will be very difficult in 2Q, will be rather constructive where the C-suite says, hey, May was better than April, June was better than May, and July, not so bad. And I think we can rally on that, and I think that's what we need to look forward to. Chris, it's interesting you, you ascribe more of it to the Fed than, than to the worries about, uh, about the pandemic. I asked uh, Jim Grant this morning whether ever comes the day where the Fed is actually part of the problem for what's happening instead of the solution. We all think the Fed's done a great job. We love the Fed, all the liquidity. But guys like Jim Grant think we're never getting out of this, that, you know, you, the, the, the size of the balance sheet at this point and the, the central banks around the world and negative rates and beggar thy neighbor and everything else, that he actually thinks that, that, that the Fed is part of the problem with what's happening in the market, not the solution. Do you think that? So the Fed did a great job back in March, and they did a great job with a lot of the, the facilities, especially the credit facilities. But I will point out that, to the best of my knowledge, that the Fed hasn't purchased a single corporate bond. But getting back to the point, the issue with yesterday and the issue I have with the Fed is they keep saying or thinking that lower rates are the solution, and that's not the solution anymore. And to your point, there's a lot of things the Fed didn't do right. I think what the Fed did for many years is they provided too much liquidity. They kept the creative destructive process from happening, too much capacity, so we never had pricing power, we didn't have inflation, and they were part of the problem. So I take the good with the bad. They've done some really great things, but some of the things that they're doing, I think they, they need to work on some of their communication, and I think they need to really understand better what they're communicating to the bond market, to the yield curve, and to investors, because lower rates are not always a solution, and I don't think that's the solution right here, right now. Because there is a, a vocal group of people that you see it, you know, on the Internet and elsewhere about, you know, about, about central banks and the Fed and everything else. And I'm just wondering, you know, everybody's saying, yeah, the Fed did it today, but they did it just because of their economic uh, take on, on what's happening, not because of what they said. Anyway, Chris, thank you. Uh, thank Guy, you. what do you think what, what, uh, on what Chris said and just on the notion that, that there could be, I don't know when, I mean, there's, inflation doesn't seem bad, but. There could be a day of reckoning someday for the Fed. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of come down on the other side of that. I'm on sort of the Jim Grant side where I think the Fed is more part of the problem. But I can understand if you're just looking through the prism of the market. I mean, the Fed's been unbelievable for the market. And I get the wealth effect that creates. I mean, I can understand that argument. But, you know, broader looking, I think the Fed has gone down a rabbit hole, to your point, 
that they're never going to be able to extricate themselves from, which is problematic. I don't know when that's problematic. I think, again, to Chris's point, they've put in a uh, bit of a buffer where the credit markets are not going to have that um, exogenous event like we saw in March. I think that's positive. And I do think you have to start looking for levels where you want to get back into some of these names. They've moved so quickly. The banks, for example, and I think Dan Nathan has done a really good job with these. I mean, J.P. Morgan, for example, got to 115. We had talked about 115 as a level just in terms of the metric of a $62 tangible book, a 1.8 multiple on that gets you 115. And it did exactly that. Now, I think again, and I think Karen would agree with this, you're looking for levels to get back in to these names. All right, we'll, we'll talk more about that. I, I, I think we're, uh, you know, Karen, I, I would have maybe gone to you or Tim or Steve. They, I just, I'm just reading. And, and it said Guy. Ask Guy what he thinks. I don't know who made Guy. Doing a great you job, know, Joe. I don't know who made Guy King, uh, although that's a. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's a beautiful background. He's got all right. He is king. All right, he is king. King Guy. All right, we're, ju- we're just getting started here. Yeah. Uh, on Fast Money. Up next, uh, the collapse in crude oil tanking in the sell-off today. We're drilling down. Da- get it? Drilling down on the big move lower. And then later, the ultimate safety play. We're going to tell you where option traders are taking cover as stocks tumble. That could mean we're going to T-Bow. Fast Money is back in two and two. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. A big scary bear. Um, welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil getting crushed in today's sell-off. WTI falling nearly 9%. Energy is the worst performing sector today. Names like Halliburton, Schlumberger, Chevron, and Exxon all falling deep into the red. That's no small feat to be the, the, the worst sector to date, Tim, with some of those extended uh, airlines and, and travel-related stocks. How are you trading uh, these names, and what happened? Well, I, I, you know, I'm trading at least one or two of them from the long side, and, and I'm trading them in the context of someone, something like Schlumberger, which is down 22% in three days. And, boy, I, I wish I had taken some profits three days ago. Um, but what, what they gave you coming out of their first quarter earnings was not only a dividend cut, a, a look into their liquidity profile, a look into a business realignment strategy that, that indicates some divestments. But this is arguably, I, I still think it's one of the most important companies in our country. Uh, I think oil technology, I think the oil sector, I think energy independence. 
And I think these guys have been very prudent in how they've looked at the balance sheet. So um, the, the, the energy sector has the highest beta uh, effectively of, of any sector in the S&P right now because of where it's come from. So, uh, you know, you, you can make an argument that uh, the fundamentals are still very poor. But as we like to say, you make the most money when things go from terrible to just bad. Um, some of the headwinds for energy and for oil in particular over the last few days is we're getting some sense that actually drilling activity in the Permian Basin and the other major basins has actually increased significantly. We've also got some sense that there's more of a backstop uh, on the debt uh, of a lot of these these less stable companies. And that's that's great for the companies. It's great for those investors. But it's not necessarily good for the sector um, to be overproducing and, and keeping poor companies alive. So I think this is kind of the crosshairs now. Um, Schlumberger, to me, is a longer term holding and certainly one that I think uh, when we see oil prices normalize, which is not uh, at, at $30 on Brent, I think it's more like 45. Um, it's a name I'm going to be very happy owning. Karen, are, do you have a position in any any energy related issues? No, not really. But the thing that's interesting to me, you know, uh, it, it could have been any sector that was sort of, you know, game on. So, you know, airlines, banks, we'll get to some others. I think they all just sort of went down by not wildly different amounts. So it was sort of just a cross the board risk off. I owned other things that were down equally as much as if they were an oil name. Yeah. That's uh, anybody in the market probably had that experience today. Anyway, uh, all right, we will uh, we're going to take another break um, and then we'll be back coming up uh, much more on today's big sell off. How how would you manage your winning trades? It's going so well, right? And then you get caught up in today's slide. We're headed uh, to trade school next. And as we head uh, as we head out, a look at today's biggest Dow losers. Long list. Uh, Full market coverage continues when fast money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. There it was uh, in fast motion. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Joe Kernan in from Melissa Lee. If you're just joining us, there was a major sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow dropping nearly 7 percent 
And when you're up in the high 20s, that, uh, that can be a big number, almost, uh, almost 1,900 points. It's worst day since March 16th, today's big slide, the first real test for a flood of new investors who've recently piled into the market, into some, uh, I guess, questionable, speculative names at least. Let's get to Leslie Picker uh, with more. Oh, yeah. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Joe, that's right. Welcome to the stock market. Lots of increased interest from retail investors who've been partially responsible for some of those wild swings in bankrupt or near-bankrupt companies over the last week that we've seen. And it's left the so-called smart money kind of dumbfounded. The laws of finance say that equity holders rarely recover money in bankruptcy because bondholders, in order of seniority, get paid out first. So when shares of companies in Chapter 11 proceedings like Hertz and Whiting Petroleum began soaring over the last week, it kind of defied all logic. And that was at the expense of some sophisticated hedge funds that were on the other side of that trade. The hedge fund strategy is called capital structure arbitrage, colloquially in the industry, cap structure arb. Oftentimes when it comes to a distressed company, this involves shorting the equity while going long the bonds to capture mispricings up and down the capital structure. But over the last week, when day traders started bidding up shares of bankrupt companies, it actually caused a short squeeze, sending those stocks even higher as hedge funds were, were forced to cover. So when you look at the number of shares shorted in names like Hertz, JCPenney, and Whiting Petroleum, those are way down over the last month. That's according to data by S3 Partners. Joe. All right, Leslie, thank you. Um, Karen, what's your take on this? This, is, this isn't the first time in speculative, somewhat speculative times that you see stocks like this um, behave in ways that, that may not make a lot of sense when it's all said and done. Yeah, it makes no sense. And I mean, if you look at the bonds, as Leslie pointed out, you look at the capital structure, the bonds are trading in the 30s, the high 30s for some of the mid-level bonds. So the equity, you know, it, it's ridiculous. This is I think it's it's worse than the Internet bubble in in that I think the Internet bubble, you could buy the story of, a you know, a dream, I guess. Here, I, it seemed to me so much of the volume has no idea how bankruptcy works and is sort of just choosing to ignore it, hoping that, you know, the greater fool is out there. So I wouldn't touch any of this stuff. All right. Let's uh, thanks. Let's talk more about uh, the day trading boom and. One stock newbie investors uh, have been betting on, newbie investors have been betting on, is Carnival Cruise Lines. It's one of the most actively traded stocks on the Robinhood app, and it fell 15% today. So if you're in this name and you're wondering how to get out, you are in luck. It's time for trade school. classes in session. Steve Grasso, take it away. So usually when you trade a stock like this, Joe, you get it if you're lucky enough to pick it at the bottom. So it, it came in today but it's up over 200% off the low. You're lucky enough to buy it off that low. You have to have an idea where the resistance is. So that resistance could be a moving average. It could be a bounce level. It could be a fib retracement. For me, I look at the fibs. So when you look at a, re, uh, a resistance level, look at where it starts to roll over. And on a chart, you see where it hits that wall. Almost down to the dime when you look at your fib bounce levels or your fib retracements. At that point, as a trader, you need to sell either all of it, some of it, a partial. My rule of thumb is sell 25%. This way, 
if it trades back down and then trades right back up through resistance, it's going to pop through that resistance and you still have upside potential. If it does not return, you look between that level of resistance and a momentum indicator. I use the 20-day moving average. It's referred to as the momentum indicator. You divide up in segments of 25% from that initial resistance down to the momentum indicator. Every time it breaks down in equal parts, four parts, you sell another 25%. Once you get down to that momentum indicator, which is the 20-day moving average, which it was basically not even there yet today, you should be out of the stock if it breaks that level. You should only be holding 25% of the position. If you have that position left and it bounces, like these technicals and these volatile markets do, you still have some upside potential in the name. If it breaks through, you're only left holding the bag on 25% of the position. That's the way to be disciplined. That's the way to trade these highly volatile names in a retail market. Makes sense. Thank you, Steve. Makes sense to me anyway. Guy, um, I have to ask you for your take on Steve's strategy and whether you'd ever wear that sweater. <laughs> yeah. I just first a couple things. I can't see a sweater because I'm speaking into a blank screen, number one. And you don't, you only have, the only two things you have to do in life are pay taxes and die. So you don't have to come to me. You're choosing to, which is fine. I, I hear what Steve's saying. And what Steve would also add is all this has to be in place before you do anything. So you have to have a plan before you even enter into these trades. For example, I mean, if you were lucky enough to buy CCL at 10 bucks, look, it went to $20 in a heartbeat. You sell half your position, you're in the rest of it for free. So you have to be thinking that way. You have to you know, have if you If you fail to plan, as Warren Buffett says, you plan to fail. So this thing should be on autopilot once you buy it. And I think to a certain extent, that's what Steve was so craftily alluding to. What about the whole idea of, I, I mean, I guess you can't fault people for, for taking a flyer. It, it doesn't really sound like a way to build wealth over time, um, right, uh, Steve? Or anybody comment on that, these names? Well, well here's, the, here's the problem, Joe. When, when, you I, look, I, when you're looking at these names, a profit is a profit is a profit. So when you're talking about building wealth, the, when you're investing and you're looking for daily increments or hourly increments, if you can clip 10% in these markets, which yep. we see this on a daily basis, stocks are moving 5 and 10% swings, they are building real, real wealth. They're not investing, they're trading, and that's right. the huge difference. Right. And it certainly makes fast money a much more important part of all their lives, too. So they, they should be watching that. So it's, it's good for fast money. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're going to, uh, wow, it's already 531. Coming up, uh, investors rolling the dice. They got a lot of these in this uh, in the script today. Rolling the dice on casino stocks. They got burned today. Why there could be more pain ahead for the sector. But uh, first, we have some after hours action on this busy Thursday. Lululemon. Yep, wearing those pants. And Adobe are both on the move after reporting results. We'll break down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have an earnings alert. Shares of Lululemon and Adobe are both on the move after reporting results. Full team coverage standing by now to break down both names. Josh Lipton is digging in on Adobe. But let's start with Courtney Reagan and more on Lulu's quarter. Hi, Courtney. 
Hi there, Joe. So Lulu is actually missing consensus for earnings and revenue for the first time in more than three years. Shares diving after hours about seven and a half percent. But after they've gone on a pretty big run, they've run up about 51 percent in just the last three months. Now, stores, of course, of course, were closed for much of the quarter. Online sales, there grew 68 percent. That means they made up 54 percent of total revenue. That's double what they made up the same quarter last year. Now, Lulu did not report any comparable sales or give guidance. Margins did fall more than two and a half percentage points to hit the lowest level in three years. Now, about 60% of Lulu stores are now open globally. Early trends in North America are, quote, exceeding expectations, according to executives on the call. Lulu does say it has sufficient liquidity at $1.2 billion. Now, like many retailers, Lululemon sort of saw these various and very distinct phases within the quarter as COVID-19 spread throughout the world. So on the conference call, CEO Kevin McDonald talked about phase one. He called that pre-crisis part of the quarter where comps increased nearly 20 percent. Things were looking pretty normal. Then in phase two, as the virus spread in the U.S. and Europe, Lululemon had to close the majority of the stores in those regions. E-commerce, though, then started to accelerate At that same time, China was reopening and total China comps were actually positive in March. In April, e-commerce comps up 125 percent. That momentum, they say, continuing into the current quarter here online. Now, comps were up in the low teens in China in April with momentum continuing into this quarter. So they're looking at the trends in China where things are normalizing, hoping perhaps we'll see some of that in North America and Europe. Back over to you. Okay, Courtney, thank you. Karen, you are long Lululemon. What's your take on the quarter? I am. Well, it was disappointing. Clearly, I overstayed my welcome with it, not just down in the after hours, also had a pretty bad day, uh, down 15 bucks uh, in the regular trading session. So I thought the margins actually hung in there really well. I thought the revenue line would beat. In fact, it missed. Um, I think there, I mean, it's an extraordinary business. I think uh, at this valuation, um, I, I'm a little bit stuck. I have 300 uh, puts. So, you know, it, where it's trading right now, the, the, the position will be taken away from me or I'll put it, put it to um, the option holder. But I, I, I like the name. I was clearly wrong in how they would do this quarter. There were some impressive things, but when your stock runs up as much as, as it has, I should have listened to Steve's last piece. If he had done that yesterday, maybe I would have taken some money off the table. But um, I, I wouldn't, I, I'd let it settle out before I would buy it again. But I don't, obviously we can't own stocks, but I own so many of those pants. And I, honestly, guys, I don't know whether you guys have them, <laughs> the ABC pants, but I have not worn another. You've worn them on, you, I've not worn, worn them to fast money. No, I've not worn another actually, pair of pants in, in it's got to be well over a year or maybe even longer than that. Yeah, uh, you're a they, buyer. They feel, well, they just feel like, they feel like jeans and they don't look like jeans. So you can get by uh, with them. And a uh, guy or, or Tim, or anyone else long or, or, or comments on this, Steve? Look, you, you, you're a fashion uh, player, yeah, Joe. So clearly the- when I saw you wearing them, I had to go out and get Get a few pairs myself. So. What about what about what about the stock? <laughs> Seriously, I, I mean, it, it, what a move it's made. And I think I'm not kidding. Part of it is because of these these crazy pants that that so many men Sorkin well, the, has a pair now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 
the, the addressable market growth from, from the, the, the male population is a big part of the upgrades and, and where analysts have been chiming in. But also this, this DTC story, um, of which is now 54 percent of sales and was up almost 70 percent year over year. I mean, that, that's part of the excitement. But as Karen pointed out, a lot of this great stuff is and people like Karen have been a part of uh, rallying this stock. Uh, it, it's been extraordinary. So taking profits even now has is, is been very beneficial to a lot of people that have been long. All right, we'll move on uh, to Adobe. Uh, the stock's moving higher in the after hours. Uh, Josh Lipton has the details uh, on this report. Hey, Josh. So, you know, Joe, heading into this report, stock got hit in today's trade, but it was still uh, surging, rallying about 50% from its March lows. If you look at the report, just digging into this, uh, the segments, digital media, that was up 18% to $2.23 billion. The other big segment there, digital experience, $826 million. Guidance, Q3 guidance was light relative to expectations. I did check in, though, with uh, Kirk Matern over at Evercore ISI. He covers the name. Uh, Kirk liked what he saw in this report. said, listen, digital media ARR, annualized recurring revenue, $443 million. That was above expectations. That signal, Kirk says, that the core business is healthy here. Operating margins, he noted, expanding. So this is a company, he's arguing, that's delivering higher levels of profitability, even during a downturn. Q3 guides, in his, in his words, close enough to the street's estimates. Guidance will be read, he's arguing to us, as conservative. On the call, the company's CEO, uh, Shetanun Narayan, saying the company's Q2 did coincide with what we hope, he says, was the peak of the pandemic. Nevertheless, Adobe drove strong performance across creative cloud, document cloud, uh, and experience. In times of uncertainty, he was arguing on the call, people are turning to Adobe's products uh, to learn and work. In the digital experience segment, yes, the economic challenges, he said, enterprise customers are facing, weakness in small and medium-sized businesses did impact bookings, um, and as did he noted the decline in ad spending, but he called those short-term challenges. For more from the CEO, certainly turn into, into and tonight to Mad Money, where he joins our own Jim Cramer. Guys, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Um, Grasso, you got this one? Yeah, so the way, the way I would trade this one is, first of all, uh, Adobe's up 17% year to date. So to mute your exposure to any one software name, iShares has an ETF. It's IGV is the ticker symbol. The top two positions are Microsoft, and Adobe, and then, you, and then you get your Salesforce and your service now below that. This fund, this ETF is up 19% year to date. So this has definitely benefited from the stay-at-home, shelter-in-place software uh, needs that everyone in this world has needed. I think that for me, I bought this for my kids. I would buy this for myself. I think there's a better way to play it. You don't have to be tied to one stock like Adobe, although I love Adobe, I think you have to mute your risk and own them all. I own Microsoft as well, but I think that you need a fund like this that helps you blanket that exposure because this is where the growth is. The growth is not in energy stocks. The growth is not in value going forward. It's going to be right here at the center of tech. Very good. All right. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, coming up, uh, looking for a bright spot. Option traders are betting on a double-digit rally in this next name. Stick around for the details uh, on that trade. Plus, the casino stocks uh, hit hard in today's sell-off. Uh, should you take a gamble on any of these names? That debate is ahead as we, as we head out. Take a look at the biggest losers in the NASDAQ 100 today. Fast Money is back in just a couple minutes.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks are getting slammed across the board today. The S&P 500 falling nearly 6% for its worst day in three months. Today's sell-off sending investors into gold. The yellow metal finishing in the green today. Tim, I mentioned Jim Grant earlier. I know you made comments on gold as well. When I asked him yep. the harbinger, the canary in the coal mine for when the Fed has overdone it, he said, you'll see two things, gold and silver. Those were his, that was his answer, two things, gold and silver. You think it's a time to be buying gold, too? I, I do. I think precious metals uh, as an asset class are going to continue to run. But I think, you know, they, they had taken a, a, a breath and it's actually very good for investors here because uh, obviously gold had been a very hot trade uh, really since the Fed came into play. Gold's been a very hot trade for now, you know, a, a good year. Um, I, I do think the dynamics of the Fed pretty much admitting yesterday that they they are nowhere near their inflation target and they, they can't get to it. Um, so if anything, I you know, people talk about all these scenarios where you can buy gold and why gold would be a good hedge and this and that. Karen talks about this. You could flip a coin. But but deflation to me is more important than inflation. And in fact, um, I think that's where we're going to see uh, issues or at least what we have right now. I will say about gold, um, when we've seen massive liquidation in markets, in other words, days like today, maybe a couple of them strung together, not suggesting we're going to necessarily get that. But we have seen gold be a place where uh, margin calls and profit taking have stalled the gold rally in the first couple of days of this volatility. But then you really want to grab it. And, and I think you want to you want to move higher. So, again, I, I expect gold to get to all time highs uh, on the back of what the Fed told you for the next two years. They're going to be effectively at zero. Wow. So through 2000. Yeah, 2022. Yep. The, the, the precious metal itself will, will finally eclipse that, those, num those levels. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, 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 <laughs> it's not going to happen tomorrow, and I think that's major, major resistance. But I do think you've got a case here where um, you know, we've set the stage for gold to make the next move in its rally. Wow. Okay. All right. Sticking with gold, uh, the miners didn't track with gold's move higher today. The GDX ETF uh, that tracks the space, uh, tumbling 5%, but option traders are... Uh, starting to take a shine to one name in the group. Let's get to Mike Coe with the action. I don't want to trigger anyone by referencing Seinfeld, but take it away. T-Bone! <laughs> How are you, Joe? Yeah, so the stock that I was taking a look at was Barrick Gold, ticker symbol, aptly enough, G-O-L-D. And we did see calls outpace puts by more than two to one on above average volume, where a lot of that activity was concentrated was in the June 26th weekly 26 strike puts. So those are uh, calls, excuse me, those are the calls that are going to expire two weeks from tomorrow. And the buyers were paying just under a dollar for those calls. So they're making a bet that Barrick is going to exceed that $26 strike price by at least the dollar that they paid. That would take it over 27 in the next two weeks. And the stock closed just below 25. Now, people who are watching the options markets may have observed that there was a big block of the 25 strike puts that also traded, but that wasn't a bearish bet. The bearish bet was actually made in early May, and they were taking that off today. So when we were taking a look at the flows, what we were seeing was some people were taking advantage of today's weakness to get bullish, and others were taking advantage of today's weakness to get less bearish. So in both cases, they were making basically more bullish bets. All right, good. Um, it's almost Friday. Mike, uh, Coco. See, I like T-Bone better than they, they told me your nickname was Coco. I like, I like T-Bone, but for more options action, there it's going to be tomorrow. Almost Friday. Almost. Just a few hours. 5.30 tomorrow, 5.30 Eastern. Options Action. Sponsored by Thinkorswim by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the casino collapse. Gambling stocks crap out. Always wanted to say that in a day's sell-off. We're going to find out what's next for these names. 
And as we head out, uh, a look at the only stock in the S&P 500 able to eke out a gain today. Look at that, Kroger, Cincinnati. Fast Money is back in just a couple minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Casino stocks getting rocked in today's market sell-off. Let's get to Contessa Brewer for uh, the breakdown. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Joe. Yeah, wind gave investors some intra-quarter color, and it was pretty dark. Though neighboring Guangdong province anticipates allowing students and teachers to begin traveling to Macau, tourists have not been allowed back. So here we are three months after casinos reopened over their coronavirus closures and wins losing about $2 million per day in Macau alone. It just reopened Las Vegas one week ago and Massachusetts is still closed. Now, Las Vegas Sands too would be experiencing a failure to launch in Macau because of a lack of visitation and its most profitable single property, Marina Bay Sands in Singapore is not allowed to reopen yet. Las Vegas Sands makes up only about 10% of its revenues. In the U.S., rising COVID cases following states reopening, worries about recession and unemployment may be tamping down some of that enthusiasm that we saw driving shares higher over the last month, triple-digit gains in some cases. The laggards of this day are MGM Resorts uh, down 13%, Penn, Eldorado, whose CEO told me yesterday he's fielding a lot of phone calls regarding the merger with Caesars following the implosion of that Simon Taubman deal. He told me, quote, we are still 100% moving forward and expect late June, early July close. Melissa? Uh, uh, Joe? I'll, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I, I know who you are, Joe. I don't care what you call me, just call me, uh, uh, Contessa. Um, thank you. I'm going to get Tim's, uh, Tim Seymour's st- uh, take on casino size. I'm just going to preface it with one thing, Tim. If you got... Like a betting online yes. thing, it's it's big. You got to have that because I have now bet on golf. I have done it. It's all I got, and I bet on golf for today's tournament. So that's what it's come to. I'm not going to tell you who or how I did it, but I do I, have some money in DraftKings on golf. So what's your take? Okay. Well, I, when I set up my online gaming business, I'm going to you for, you know, for a big account. And, and I think if you look at the casinos, uh, Contessa did a great job of laying out some of the issues, both uh, especially those that have a lot of exposure to Asia, but Macau specifically, Singapore, um, LVS, they're actually saying goodbye to Japan. Um, I, I think the, the story on Wynn was this was a stock uh, that, like, it, it's, it's, it had the volatility and the momentum of some of the other uh, cruise lines, airlines, uh, Boeing, transports. It was up 26 percent three days going into uh, the preceding three days, which was down 18 percent. I mean, the uptrend is still alive. I'm not saying uh, there isn't a little bit more caution about how quickly we're going to rebound. And remember, we, we played a video here about a week and a half ago showing how uh, as casinos reopened, there was really very little concern around social distancing. And on some level, while that's concerning from a social perspective, um, um, it, it gave a little bit more of a boost to the casinos than maybe should have been. I think we still need to wait and see uh, what the impact is from social distancing uh, on the domestic market. But the international markets are coming back slowly. Uh, they've had a huge run. I think $80 is pretty decent support for win here, at least to watch it for now. Great. Um, Karen, you, you, uh, you, you play in this, this arena? No, I don't. I mean, I understand. I, I've heard that the actual golf betting today was, I mean, the volume of bets was enormous. I, I guess it's a good outlet. 
Guy has made the point that that's what's going on in some of these bankrupt stocks, that there's no sports to bet on. And so this is where the gamblers are going. Um, neither are for me. <laughs> okay. Neither right. golf nor bankrupt securities. Oh, I know I'm boring. Yeah. Okay. I'm boring. All right. It's a golf channel uh, event. So the sister network, uh, not for nothing. Anyway, uh, up next, your final trade. Whoa. No way. On one show? Welcome back to Fast Money. Here's a look ahead at what's coming up tomorrow on Squawk Box. We'll be joined by David Rubenstein, Sandy Wild, Mick Mulvaney, and Thomas Petrify. Uh, I will see you there at 6 a.m. Eastern. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen, start with you. Yes, well, thanks for being here, Joe. Um, Tomorrow, I'll be looking to buy some FedEx if it gets to 125, which if the market were open about another 20 minutes today, would have gotten there, but 125, FedEx. FedEx. Tim. Joe Sweet, ABC Pants. Uh, Starbucks, down 13% over two days. This is a massive move for a company that I think ultimately is getting some, also some of these painful signals from reopening. Slowly, uh, it will be there, even if commuter activity is slower in the next few months. It's all about comfort. Tim, Steve. So yesterday, Joe, there was a headline on Spotify that said June 19, 230 calls, trading five times the normal average. I bought some yesterday, added to some today, maybe going into next Friday. I get a chance to see, spot, run. See all what right. I did there, Joe? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, all right, guy, you got three seconds. You're used to that. Barrett Gold, Barrett Gold. Barrett Gold. All right. Very good. Thanks for watching. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.